Welcome into the Ringerverse. It's the Midnight Boys. Woo! Let's get it. Uh, it's Van Lathan um, from Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay and Charles Holmes from the Ringer Music Show. We are here to give you instant reactions to The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode four. One of the best episodes yet. Maybe the best episode yet. The best? We're, we're just calling this the best episode maybe, right away. Maybe. Damn, maybe. okay. I didn't feel that way. It was good, but I didn't feel it was the best. But continue, continue. Okay, then. okay. Well, there, there you go. Let me start off. <laughs> so, of course, this is the Friday show where we do the instant reaction. Us, the Midnight Boys. You have to come back uh, to the Ringerverse feed on Tuesday. Uh, you're going to have Mallory there doing a deep dive giving you all of the super well thought out after a couple of days digested theories and your mailbag questions. So uh, get those mailbag questions into at Ringerverse on all socials so that Mallory can recognize you. We're impulsive. We're knee-jerk. We're uninformed. <laughs> we're going to trigger you. And that's what we're doing right now. So because we have to do... oh. Before I get to that, I have to let you guys know something else. We have bonus episodes coming up because there's more stuff coming down the coming down the pipe. So I need to say that again, right? So we're gonna have extra episodes uh, for both Mortal Kombat and bonus episodes for Invincible as well because we're so into Invincible uh, that we're gonna be talking about that and having some more bonus episodes. That Mortal Kombat was supposed to come out next week, but it actually got pushed back to four twenty three. We're gonna have somebody. We're gonna have uh, Mikab Brooks who plays Jax. From Mortal Kombat, he's going to be on the podcast with us to talk a little bit about Mortal Kombat. Like, this is a guy I've known for a long time, but he put on so much muscle. He really devoted himself for for this to this role for like a year and a half, two years, so he could play Wait, Jackson is this the homie, Mortal Kombat. Is this the homie that looks like, uh, that looks like, what's his face? Steve Harvey? Why do you say he looks like Steve Harvey? He looks no. like Steve Harvey. He has no, the he doesn't, Charles. <laughs> He has like he has a mustache. Yes, I have a. He thick looks mustache. like Steve Harvey a little bit. I have a thick mustache right now. Do I look like Steve Harvey? No, no. I gotta be honest with you. That's real disrespectful. I'm not trying to diss Steve Harvey, but when 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 McCod first jumped onto the scene, that was in True Blood, and he was every woman's fantasy. It was almost akin to our boy from Bridgerton. It was almost on the same level. And you just said he looks like Steve Harvey. That's well, crazy. I said he looked like Steve Harvey specifically in this role. And don't don't discount Harvey. I think the aunties still think he's he's cute. I don't know. I would they, they, they might. I don't know. Okay. All right. So knee jerk reaction times. So spoilers from now on. There are going to be spoilers from now until the end of this podcast. So if you haven't watched yet, don't complain. Engage. Go watch. Because there are going to be spoilers in the podcast from now on. Uh, but before we get to our instant thoughts about episode four of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we have to go to Nerd News Minute. <laughs> okay, look. So there was, a, obviously, you know, in the, the superhero fandom space, uh, most of the news this week centered around bombshell, bombshell allegations made by Ray Fisher in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. Now, Ray Fisher has been 
really taken aim at Warner Brothers in DC for what the last two or three years now about the working environment that was created on the Justice League film mm-hmm. and about what he believes to be racist, unfair, unjust treatment that he's received at the hand of Josh Wheaton and Jeff, Jeff Johns. Johns. And John Berg as And well. John Berg for long. He's pointed the finger at a lot of people. In this particular interview, though, he got very, very specific. Charles, you read it. What do you feel like was the most shocking allegation that was made? I think for so long, we had heard that Joss Whedon had been a nightmare on set, allegedly. And throughout the profile, you kind of get the nitty gritty of, at least from what Ray Fisher said, how horribly Whedon treated him and the cast. And I think the story that like made my blood boil as a black man is Ray Fisher... Um, had a problem with Cyborg saying booyah. Booyah is a catchphrase that Cyborg said in the cartoon. He's no kids know him for it, but he was like, hey, like nobody else in the cast has a catchphrase. And I don't want to be, you know, the I don't want to be a black character saying this catchphrase when no one else has to. And he tells this story about Joss Whedon being on set. And like saying this really disrespectful Shakespeare line to him and like goading him into it after as a black man, he's like, yo, I don't feel comfortable. And and it kind of touched home for me. If you've been black in America, you've had a job where like a white guy in power just needles you. I felt for him even more than than I have. And yeah, what did you think? What was the biggest thing for you after reading it? Well, obviously, one of the bigger things that came out of it was the uh Regine Page thing. Regine Page is the actor who plays the Duke in Bridgerton, just one of the hottest stars right now on television. M- and MVP of that show. If like- MVP of that show. MVP yeah. of that show. Not Easily. returning, but MV- but MVP of that show. And the, the the it was the fascinating argument around the Krypton show. So here's the deal. There was a show that came on sci-fi, Krypton, that was about the planet Krypton, obviously the, the, the planet that Superman is from. It was about all kinds of things that were going on there. Interesting show. I watched it for a little while. Interesting show. Um, apparently, Regine Page was supposed to play Superman's grandfather in that show. But mm-hmm. when news of that got to Jeff Johns, he said Superman couldn't have a black grandfather. Regine Page is black. And that he envisioned Superman's grandfather looking something like a young Henry Cavill. Uh, and this news came out. And obviously, it looks crazy now. The guy was put on Bridgerton. And it ended up becoming a huge show. He ended up becoming a huge, huge television deal. And people are saying they their racism or their inability to see a different color in that role might have actually cost them a huge fan base. Uh, Krypton is no longer on the air. Yes. I'm, so so it, it, it just kind of, it, that became a whole cultural thing. And then there was another part of people, actually my podcast co-host, Rachel Lindsay, she looked at it, and she is not in the space. She's just kind of a tangential fan. And she said, well, look, Superman is white. So it would make sense that they wouldn't want to cast, or Rachel's black, it would, make, it, it would make sense that they wouldn't want to cast his grandfather as being a black guy. So there was actually a debate that got set off 
about whether or not that actually spoke. And there were some people who were on both sides. Really? Of it. All right. Yeah. I want to just say this, you know, before we get out of Nerd Corner, Superman is a fictional character. He is He's an, an alien. alien. Like, right. also, Regine is not the darkest black man alive. Like, if you're just like, if they had put him up, he was like, this is, uh, this is, um, Superman's grandfather. He he's black. I wouldn't. My first reaction would be like, "What?" I'd be like, "All right, I get it. He's an alien. Like I could see it. Like I know a bunch of like uh, white guys who are just like <laughs> my great grandfather, whatever is black." I'm like, "Cool." As a black person, I didn't see anything wrong with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's yeah. the big deal? I mean, so so my deal is this. So if you're outside, if racial comes from outside of it, so to me. There are two things. Number one, of course, it's Superman is a fictional character in a fictional universe. Obviously, you can make whatever. You could make some different alien being because we yes. don't know, uh, like, oh, from Krypton, be Superman's grandfather. And we'd be like, oh, okay, blah, 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 whatever. We're going to go with whatever because we read comic books and we understand how things change around. And we've been doing this for a long time. Another thing is this. I think that they missed an opportunity to actually draw eyes to the show. Casting Reggae Jean would have been something that would have interested people. They would have been curious about it. It would have started a conversation. It would have been a big deal. And he's such a good-looking and charismatic actor that really Jeff John's inability to see beyond the scope of his cultural awareness actually cost them there. Yeah. So I think I think twofold. It was just a very interesting thing to me, and you know, Reggae Jean talked about it, and he he didn't know that that was a thing, but now that he knows, he obviously feels a way about it. I mean, also let's be clear: Superman's story is an immigrant story, so it adds another layer. If you're like, hey, his grandfather was a black man, there's just like you don't even have to talk about it on the show. But we don't just, even it, know if black and white exist on Krypton. Exactly. We, like, like, you, you know, it, it, those are all things that our earthly minds are conceiving. We don't Talk know any it. of that stuff. So like, we don't know how the Kryptonians view this. And it would have been an awesome way to actually set up how they do. So, you know, not going to spend too much time on it, but that's the big deal. And I, I don't think that this, that Ray Fisher, I don't think that Ray Fisher's problems with Warner Brothers or DC are going to go anywhere. No. I think until they are until they are adequately reconciled, that is going to remain as a cloud hanging over DC in future projects that they do and in the, in the talent that wants to work with them. So I, I implore DC to figure out what's going on over there, make it right, and everybody sit down and talk about it. That was the Nerd News Hour, basically, but whatever. It's a big story. It's a big story, TD. It's a big story. Me and Charles <laughs> want to talk about it. <laughs> Now, this is the final spoiler warning. We have to do that. Final spoiler warning. We're about to get into episode four of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier titled The Whole World is Watching. And because we're about to get into this, that means we got to do it. We got to try the 30-second recap. 30-second recap. You said on the last episode, this is the episode where you finally get it. I'm going to nail it. All right, let's do it. (laughs) I'm going to nail the 30-second recap. Wait, wait, wait. Before you nail it, I feel like we should, like, put a bet on it. What do, uh... What what should we bet on it if you can't get it? I bet you, Charles, a box of world's finest chocolate, Ooh. which is the most amazing thing ever created to man. It's a delectable delight. It's a double D. It's a Turkish delight. It's a it's a Turkish delight. <laughs> I love these delectable delights. I bet you a world's uh, a pack of world's finest chocolate that I get it right now. Producer Steve, put it like let's take note of this. All right, 
Uh, let's set the timer. Let's start the timer. <laughs> start the timer now. After an emotional flashback scene in Wakanda, Ao in present day gives Bucky an ultimatum on Zemo. Then all the boys, Walker and Battlestar included, then link up to find Carly Morgenthau. Sam tries reckoning with Carly, reasoning with Carly before Walker takes matters into his own hands. And also the very last vial of super soldier serum after Zemo destroys the rest. The Dora Milaje didn't show up for Zemo, but he gets away as the Wakandans give Walker the business. Ego bruises it all. Walker finally takes the serum and kills, and Carly kills Battlestar. Walker finally murders a flag smasher with the shield. I, 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 I got it. I got it. You I got it. That was it. Uh, Steve, Steve tiebreaker. Did he make it? That was the shit. I am showing 30.33 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Mail me my Turkish delights, man. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) That's pretty good, though. Like, let's clap it up, man. That was pretty good. Man, that was the 30 second recap. God damn. But you know what that means, man. I'm going to send you my address. You know what I mean? Hey, I'm going to send you I'm gonna send you World's Fine Chocolate. I'm, I will. Hey. It's, it's amazing. I'm going to send you the chocolate-covered almonds. I'm going to send you the chocolate bars. It's great. I love World's love Fine it. Chocolate. Love it. So, Shout out to I just got this script, and I'm seeing something that I need to call you out on, Van. Which is? The best Falcon in the Winter Soldier episode thus far? I think so. You got it. You got to defend it. You got because I like this episode. Well, first of all, tell to give me give, give me your instant reaction to this episode. I thought that the episode pacing wise was slow, but the emotional beats, the character beats, I was like, oh, I need this. And I think like we were talking about how much Anthony Mackie felt like the sidekick, and this was like the episode where I'm like, he's the emotional center of this, and he's proving why. He's the only candidate right now that makes sense as Captain America. And I think, like, Mackie killed it. I, I agree. So I'll tell you why I think this episode was the best episode. Everything worked. Hmm. They got everything right in this. Now, in terms of action, was it as action-packed as some of the other ones that we've seen? No, it wasn't. But the action that was in the episode was so integral to the story. It wasn't just big action for the sake of big action, have everybody fight to show everybody fighting. There were scenes here that drove the narrative forward. And the second reason why I think this was the best episode is because it did something that I didn't think the show was going to be able to successfully do, which was make me buy Sam Wilson as Captain America. Mm. This is the episode where Sam Wilson became Captain America. And I'll tell you why. The, the So to me, being Captain America, people say that Steve Rogers doesn't have a superpower, right? That he doesn't have a superpower, that he's an enhanced guy, but there's no superpowers to Steve Rogers. That's actually not true. Steve Rogers' superpower, in my opinion, is his military mind, his ability as a tactician, yes. his heart, everything that can't come out of that bottle, like Tony Stark said. Everything that you would aspire to be. Everything that all of these heroes want, why gods follow Steve Rogers into battle is what makes him Captain America. And while other people may have super strength, super speed, uh, cosmic abilities, all that, there's only one hero in the entire Marvel universe who has what Steve Rogers has. 
Nobody else has that. One guy has all of that stuff. A lot of people can fly. A lot of people can do this. A lot of people are universal reality warpers. But only one guy has what Steve Rogers has. And in this one right here, when I saw Sam talking to Carly, right, there's a scene in here where Sam is talking to Carly Morgenthau. He asked to go in alone to speak with her. Mm -hmm. That was Falcon's superpower on display. His ability to connect with her, his ability to reason with her, his ability to be both resolute in who he is and what it is that he has to do, but also to be pliable enough and compassionate enough to listen to somebody else and let them know that they could fight together. That's going to be his superpower as Falcon. And I thought they blew that away. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the part, and I think we've been complaining about it for the whole season. We are like, why isn't Falcon like even a good fighter in this? Like, why isn't he jumping in it? Why isn't he like, and I realized during this episode, I was just like, part of his character is, is that like, he's not Bucky. He's not enhanced. He has to use his words. He has to, this is a guy that when we're introduced to him in Captain America Winter Soldier, he is talking to other soldiers and veterans, helping them through their traumatic events. And there's this special scene in this episode where Zemo asks Sam, would you take the serum? And without hesitation, Sam goes, no. And then we mirror it at the end of the episode where Battlestar asks John Walker, would you take the serum? And he says, yes. And that to me is the defining difference is that Sam does not need a superpower. He does not need to be the best fighter. Every single time, he's like, let's have a conversation first. This should not be a fight. And I think that is like, that's a bit of growth for the character that I wasn't even really expecting. That makes me want him to carry the shield by the end. of it. Yeah. Speaking of John Walker, let's talk about him a little bit. So we see John Walker's Captain America uh, really take a turn in this episode, Ooh. you know, we always knew that it was coming. We always knew that it was coming. But he really takes a turn here. Of course, we start out, he is just ruining everything. Okay? <laughs> Sam is talking to Carly. He's getting through to Carly. Walker, who doesn't trust anyone, who doesn't believe in people, who believes in what I believe is the true villain of this show and definitely the true villain of this episode. We'll talk about it a little bit later. He goes in there, he ruins Sam's ability to connect with her. Later on, we see him lose a fight to the Dora. And when he loses that fight to them, that's the last straw. He feels completely inadequate. Right, he that's feels his completely Joker impotent. moment. That is like him, him losing to these African women is like his Joker moment where he's like, what? And they're not even super soldiers? Like, let's be clear. That scene where they're Dora Milaje come into uh, where Zemo, Falcon, Winter Soldier, and, and John Walker are, and they destroy all of them. The Dora Milaje, clean house. The, the coolest scene is one of, one of them goes, bow, 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 bow. And Bucky's arm just falls clean off. Yeah, and, uh, and John Walker doesn't know what to do. He's like, how did they serve me? Like, <laughs> so thoroughly. You know what? The scene with the arm falling off, that I'll tell you why that's a genius scene when 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 Io does that to him. That shows you how the Wakandans view the outside world. Mm. Okay, that that's the fact that she the fact that 
there is she knows how to make Bucky half a fighter because they helped him, but yes. they don't trust him. They don't trust that Bucky won't become Winter Soldier again. And they really, as Wakanda, don't really trust anybody. They yes. have the world's most precious resource there. Everybody would try to take it if they could. And they know that. So, yeah, we'll help you. But we're also going to give you a weakness that only we know about and we're not going to tell you. It's a little bit. It's, it's a little of a Batman type of thing. I got to keep detailed files on how to beat you. It's a little Batman. And it's so funny because Sam turns to him. He's basically like, did you know that could happen? Right. And Bucky's like, no. I Bucky's didn't. like, no. I thought I was one of the Wakandans. Really? Yeah. But Bucky, Bucky's like, yo, I thought I was. I, I thought they thought we was cool. She looked at him. But bing, bang, bing, boom, boom. It's like the uh, like from Kill Bill, the five point exploding heart yeah. technique. And she just boom, 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 and gets his arm to fall off. It was actually amazing. But back to she John calls him again, TD, our producer. I think it's also very funny. Like they they, they call him White Wolf, and mm-hmm. it's like you're kind of like one of us in a in a friendship way. But if you get in our way, we will dismantle you. And that's what I absolutely thought was a genius move. Very true. Let's get back to John Walker real quick. All right. When you go back and you look at the contrast between John Walker and Sam, John doesn't, Sam doesn't know what he's capable of, and John Walker is wrong about what he's capable of. Sam is really just doing what he thinks is right, and he has no idea the, he like, he's turned down the shield. He's turned away from the mantle. He has no idea that he is completely perfect for it. John Walker thinks that he's overqualified, but doesn't realize that he's inadequate. And that crystallized in this episode by the fact that Battlestar was killed. Think about how many fights Captain America has been in with Sam. Sam is still upright. Yep. Sam is still walking. Sam is actually the better for it. By being that close to Steve Rogers for all of that time, Sam came away with a particular set of skills and a way to navigate and deal with people that has kept him alive. John, uh, John Walker's partner, literally months into being Captain America, is dead. Like, is dead. That's like a complete, complete referendum on who he is as Cap. <laughs> An expert bit of foreshadowing to everything you're talking about is in the beginning of the episode, Zemo says, quote, the desire to become a superhero cannot be separated from supremacist ideals. It was such a prescient moment that they were writing because, like you said, John Walker thinks he deserves the power. He thinks he deserves to be Captain America. He was built for it. And Sam, throughout his whole journey, doesn't think he's enough. And I think that's the difference. When finally John Walker takes the serum... He thinks this power is his and he like he is above everyone else. And that's what I think is genius. And by the time he runs out of the building and kills one of the flag smashers, the moment reminded me of like Watchmen where on the button, there's like a little bit of blood. The blood on it. You see this iconic shield, Captain America's shield covered in blood. People are filming. And that is just such a perfect shot because Steve Rogers would never ever get caught out there like that. And I just, when that happened, I was like, oh, like they're in 
All they have to do is stick the landing now. This is genius. It's funny you bring up Watchmen. Me and my brother used to do this thing where we would uh, take like a random movie and then like plot out the movie if we replace we replace a character and put Rorschach in his in his, in his, in his. like we used to do Forrest Gump. What if Rorschach was the lead? What if Rorschach was like Forrest Gump? Just all everything happened in the Forrest Gump. Why'd you just but, ruin that movie for me? But Ro- I can't but, think but, of Rorschach. Rorschach. <laughs> I think of Rorschach having to it's have a date with Jenny. Super funny. Rorschach, like, super funny. Like, all kinds of things. We did Malcolm X. What if it was Rorschach? <laughs> just the entire time. Anyway, uh, it's, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just very funny. Um, I, Actually, another thing about Sam, I think, like, Sam fought well in this episode. Like, when I remember I said earlier in the in the series that the, uh, a big trick was going to be them actually making Sam look cool when he was fighting. And I bought it. I Like, I bought it. He looked Amazing. He just looked like Captain America. This is the first episode he looked like Captain America. In the fight scenes, he looked like him. In his confidence, he looked like him. He was very sure of himself. He wasn't asking. He wasn't second-guessing himself. And they kind of flipped it right there. Genius storytelling, and they made Walker the guy. What did you think of, like, uh, when all of they're all fighting the Flag Smashers? And I noticed, like, they're starting to make Sam's fighting style integrated with the wings. Because at one point, he, like, flies, he kicks, he lands, like... They're making what the genius thing is. They're making his fighting style distinct from Steve Rogers and Bucky. And I just thought, like, also when you were talking about being next to Steve made him. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but there's like a spatial awareness to the way Sam fights, where he's like not busting through everything like John Walker. He knows where everyone is. He's not trying to kill anyone. He's trying to get all of his people out safely. And like contrasted with like John Walker, just like mowing through people. I'm just like, oh, we're, I knew. I'm like, we're, we're done. He's done. This is the evil turn. Yeah. Well, one, it, it, Sam has been around a guy who first cares about the safety of people. Yes. And first cares about his underlying morals and values. And, you know, John is just out there, he's smashing heads. Smashing heads. And it also, a scene between John and Battlestar, towards the end, they talked about some things that they had to do in Afghanistan to win the Medals of Honor. So they've seen some ugly battles. They've seen ugly battles. And I also wonder if fighting in Afghanistan made them different than Steve Rogers' experience fighting in World War II. If those two differing political things, like have, uh, if there's a some commentary being made, and that's not in any way, in any way, to besmirch the brave men and women who go out and lay their lives down wherever they are called in duty of their country and service of their country. But I, I'm wondering if there's there was something being made, uh, like if, if there's commentary being made about what the writers of this show actually thought about what was going on for U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan as it relates to how we view World War II, if that's sort of a, a, a contrast between the two characters. I could be looking too deep into it, but in that scene where they're talking about what he had to do to get those medals of honor, I was wondering, like, what are they talking about? Like, what did they have to do? And I'm wondering if we're going to learn about some of the things that had to go down, you know? Well, I think there has to be a commentary because they say at one point, these medals are for the worst days of my life. Like, they are reminders. And only a few minutes later, we see him run down and kill somebody who has surrendered. And there has to be some type of connection with that thematically because they could have put 
that scene in the beginning of the episode where he's talking about like taking the serum and what they had to do in war. But they put it right a little bit before John Walker like kind of goes rogue. So I'm not going to step on that uh, that uh, landmine, but there is a lot there. I also want to shout out, rest in peace, Battlestar. Battlestar dies. Lamar Hoskins dies in this in this episode. He gets punched in the chest by Carly, uh, by one of the Flash Smashers. Was it Carly? It was Carly. Yeah, she, was she Carly. comes out of nowhere and bow, and he's just like yeah, punches him, <laughs> in the face, punches him in the chest, and then he he finds that he's he's dead. I actually expected him to to die the scene before. I just knew it was going to happen. This is the most unsurprising death. No, in yeah. cinema history. <laughs> There's never... Remember Star Trek back in the day? If you ever watched Star Trek. So if you ever watched Star Trek, they would go to like a foreign planet or something like that. And this is a big time Star Trek trope. And it would be like uh, Spock, Kirk, and some dude. You know what I mean? Like, And it's like, you know if you're that dude, it's over. Like you're done. Like you're you're finished. And I would always wonder... And Eddie Murphy said this in Boomerang, by the way. And it's... If if you're that dude, why do you go on the mission? Like, don't go like don't, you know they're not gonna, these guys. You know you got and so for Hoskins, I was like, yeah, you're dead, bro. You don't even have a line. Like you don't even have it. Like you, they're going to kill this character. I was so it was so unsurprising when he died. Oh, I knew from the beginning of the season. I'm like, you ain't making it out alive, man. And I also was just like. The whole time I was like, oh man, they're doing a little character work with uh, Battlestar because he's actually on like Sam and Bucky's side. He's like to John, like, hey man, right. calm down. Give him 10 minutes. I'm like, ah, oh, you done, man. You're done. Well, yeah, well, that was that was John's conscience being killed. Like his his conscience was killed. It's like that happens in movies. You see it sometimes. There's one, there's one person keeping a character from really going over the edge. That person dies, and then that character goes over the edge. And we saw that with John Walker. He definitely went over the edge. Uh Buck, we haven't talked that much, that much about uh, a Bucky on this. We saw that actually episode begins with, uh, or we, not Bucky reliving, or us reliving a Bucky's time in Wakanda, which we hadn't seen yet. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, they got dropped off in Wakanda. Then we saw after he was out there bailing hay or doing whatever he was doing <laughs> in Infinity War. <laughs> he was throwing, they always... Farm boy. Uh, farm boy. The Avengers always, when they want to say you were coming back, they always end up doing farm work. That's how they get oh, you to Hawkeye go back. Oh, Hawkeye was out on the farm in the beginning. Hawkeye of- <laughs> out on the farm. They had, because, and then, you know, Steve and Iron Man, you know, they're between missions and they're chopping wood. Oh, and yeah. They show, you know what I mean? They always want to get you down to, you're living the simple, like, hey, we need you. And then you're out, you're out there, I don't know, you're knitting or something like that. It's a, whatever. But did you learn anything about Bucky's connection to Wakanda in this episode that you didn't know before about his relationship with the Dora, with Ao, Because I didn't know before this that it was actually her character that was hands-on with him, reprogramming him and detaching his mind from Hydra's control. Yeah, I don't, it, I don't know if I learned anything radically new, but what I, what I enjoyed is it gave another layer to Bucky and what he had been through because, like, because we see him in like Infinity War and Endgame and, and they kind of gloss over that, when we see the beginning of this episode and him being deprogrammed, you kind of get a realization of why he had to go to therapy because it's such a heart-wrenching scene where he's basically almost crying, like he is crying, about 
reliving his whole life and being birthed as a new person. And I always thought White Wolf was such a dumb name. I still think it's a dumb name. But you get the name a little bit more because they're just like, oh, you are a new person. We deprogrammed you. You have fought all your demons. So I thought it did a lot of work for Bucky and it made up for a lot of missteps that he had in the previous episodes. Hmm. So... Stand with the Dora, they fight and beat the hell out of John Walker. They beat the hell out of all of them. They kick their asses. And I think we need more Dora Milaje fights. I, I watched that scene and I, I knew that John Walker and those guys would get their would, would you know would get their asses kicked. And I think personally, that to this point is the best fight scene in the show. Wow. I do. I, I you take think, the Coke baby crown today. Why is that you a Coke take baby, the Coke take. baby crown today? Better than the opening scene where, where Falcon's like flying all, all over the place? I don't like really? the opening scene, man. Now, the Come opening on. scene was cool, but this was like intimate. This reminded me of Captain America Winter Soldier where it was right there. You felt like you were in the middle of the fight. It was a grounded fight. You got a, a, a sense of just how amazing these characters' combat skills were. And I watched it and I thought, I that was the scene, right? And they just looked. I tell you what, man, John Walker, I'm gonna be real with you, man. You understood something that we all get, bro. Don't, don't mess with black ladies, man. Don't like John thought something different. He tried all his little, he tried to smooth talk him at first. He tried to smooth yeah. talk him. I'm not, hey, I don't hate it, cuz if I was in that room, I would have told the door, please step on my head. You know what I'm saying? I just like dropped it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, he's trying Any to talk. Didn't work. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Um, we, before we get out of door, the Dora Corner. Sure. It was so Dora sick. Corner. It was it was so sick when one of the soldiers like kicks cap shield up, catches that shit, and then AO's yeah, like, but, hey, drop it. <laughs> yeah, but how she know how to do that? Come on. How she know how to do that? She like, how, how did she that took cap? A long time to learn how to do that. I like. I looked at that. Man, like, how she know how to do that? If you don't let these black women play with this shield, bro, come on. Yeah. Well, uh, producer TD is saying it's a vibranium shield. So because it's a vibranium shield, they know how to do everything <laughs> with it. But what I'm saying is, it's vibranium. But she kicked it up and then put her hand through the leather straps. Right. So my thing is that still takes practice. Unless you can just do everything that takes practice, man. Whatever. All right. So fine. so your you're telling me that that was the most unbelievable part of this scene for you. No, no. I'll tell you what. You know what the most unbelievable part of this episode was? Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about Zemo now. So Zemo in this episode, once again, I think he's a brilliant villain because he's showing his skills. He's showing how he is actually able to maneuver in ways and in worlds that Sam and Buck can't. Of course, he gets the uh, the information about the funeral from the from the children. He takes them. out the Turkish delights. And the only reason I know what Turkish delights are is because as a kid, I would have to read like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And like C.S. Lewis was like made Turkish delights seem like the the holy grail of candy. What is a Turkish delight? We're gonna type this in because I still to this day have never had a Turkish delight. Hey, so, y'all, if y'all got some Turkish delights, send us some Turkish delights. Oh, all right. Are you ready, Van? What is it? A Turkish delight, according to Wikipedia, is a family of confections based on a gel of starch and sugar. So basically, it seems like it's like a gummy candy wrapped in like 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 
covered in starchiness. You know, maybe okay. maybe like mo- mochi. That's what I okay. think. All right, all right, turkey delight. I, I'm down to try. Wait, all right. Can I ask you really quick though, as a kid? Sure. Uh-huh. If a white man came to you and was like, "Hey, you want to sell out your family for some Turkish delights?" What would you have done? What age? Oh, I think six, seven. That's probably a go. You'd sell your family for some Turkish delights from a strange white man. I wouldn't look at it as selling my family out. I mean, I, at six or seven, I think the the don't because I was a latchkey kid. I think, I think the be afraid of all human beings and everybody's gonna hurt you talk doesn't come at that point. Okay, because I, you know what I mean, like because it's like kids don't know anything like that. Kids, they see somebody, hey, there goes my friend. <laughs> and then, you know, and then we tell kids, we inform kids that the world's an evil place and everybody's out to kill and hurt them. And then after that, you probably won't take the candy. So at nine, probably not. At six, if you got candy, you got van. You know what Ooh. I'm saying? Little chubby well, what, van. I, 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 wouldn't have, I wouldn't have sold out my family for a Turkish flight. Maybe a Reese's? Like maybe a couple of Reese's? I, I'm there. Yeah, and but you're in another country though. So it's like Reese's are worldwide. I know, but the Reese's, the Turkey Delight is the Reese's of that country. It's Turkish Delight. I say Turkey Delight. You said Turkey Delight. If you get, once again, if you come to me and you got like a turkey wing or something like that, I'll probably take you where you need to go. Anyway, so I'll say this. So Zemo, so there's the, the, the most unbelievable part of this is when the fight breaks out and it's the Flag Smashers versus Sam, Buck, John Walker and Battlestar. Zemo gets the drop on Carly. He shoots her. <laughs> that makes absolutely zero sense. Like she's walking towards him. He's got his gun, unless he did not mean to kill her. Unless there's a reason that he's trying to keep her alive. Our producer Steve says he shot, shot her in the stomach. Remember now, he was a part of an ultra elite. Sokovian special ops team. He missed a kill shot on her from point blank range. That doesn't make any sense. Like right, it just doesn't. It does. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Man, I think I think you're I think you're digging a little too deep. I'm not into it. I think so. Not at all. Or maybe this is for before we wrap up. This might be like you know. He was uh, like 30 feet away. 30 feet. Like, look, it's not about... Look, look, he wasn't 30 feet away. Number one, watch it again. I don't think he was 30 feet away. Number two, still, it, make, it makes no sense for him that we watch movies where Nick Fury didn't miss a shot when he had his gun. Just plapping people. Plap life, plap life, plap life. But the reality here is that I don't think he should have missed that shot. I don't think he actually was trying to kill Carly in that That's moment. That's what I'm saying. I don't think he was either. Could've I think been. that like he didn't even know that the vials of super soldier serum were there until he gets up close. So if he kills Carly, then he kills his lead to the rest of the super soldier serum, which is his ultimate goal to get rid of it. So I, I think that explains away your argument. That makes sense. But I said earlier, I said he must have not been trying to kill her. That makes sense. That makes sense. But the fact that he would miss from there doesn't make any sense. All right. I do think that we learned what the true villain of this of this series is. This is the last thing I'll say before we wrap up. The real villain of this series is supremacy. The idea of supremacy. You call me crazy. You call me crazy on the first episode, man. What did you say on the first episode? I didn't say the, the, the main villain was supremacy, but I knew 
that this, the villain, this is, this is uh, racism. How the structures that we put in place are institutions that are meant to break us down. But I was a crazy one. People no, 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 no. Because I, but because I think it's too narrow. I don't think we're, I don't think we're just talking about white supremacy or racism right now. I think we're talking about the idea that you are better than anyone. Hmm. And I think, I, and, and when you look at John Walker, the difference between John Walker, like we already talked about, and, and Sam is that John Walker thinks he's better than these people, right? Like he thinks that he's better than, than them. And because he thinks that he's better than them, it makes him make all of these mistakes. To me, Everyone is trying to stop this thing that they feel like makes them supreme. Even the flash ma- the flag smashers themselves, right? They started operating in a world where they felt a part of that world. And then what happened to them is that world came back and then they were put on the lower rung of the totem pole yet again, not getting what they needed, not getting uh, uh, the, the respect and the visibility they thought that they deserved and not getting like their humanity placed on the same level as other people. And throughout this entire deal, what we see is is that the idea of supremacy, even in the power broker himself or herself, somebody who can make you better than somebody else, that is the enemy here. That's why Sam is going to end up making the best Captain America because he's the only person that is trying to connect with everybody, no matter who they are. And so I think that this episode kind of map that out so clearly for me. Well, I think everybody also, all of the antagonists made a turn. Carly, when she's talking to Sam, Sam points out, Carly, you're talking like you're God. Like you're like- Exactly. How are you different from everyone else? Her supremacy becomes uh, becomes the villainous kind of turn in her. Exactly, yeah. And And then we have the turn with John Walker. And throughout this whole thing, Sam is the only person who doesn't want more power. Right. Who doesn't want... And I think if we take it back to the original Captain America movie, Captain America didn't... Wasn't chasing after the super soldier serum. It wasn't until he jumps on the grenade that people are like, this is a man who wants to fight, whether he's 100 pounds or whether he's jacked up on the super soldier. He's Absolutely. doing it for the right reasons. And yeah. Sam, throughout this, we realize oh, this is his moment where he's jumping on the grenade because they're all like, Sam, are you going to go in there with a super soldier alone? And that's metaphorically his jumping on the grenade moment. Like, he doesn't care. He can die in this moment, but he thinks he can talk to her. Absolutely. Steve Rogers was born with his superpower. Yes. The the, the enhancements only made it matter. They say that in the episode. They say the super soldier serum only enhances. It only enhances. Only enhances. And, you know, to a degree, like, we're all born with these amazing powers and, like, inside of us as people, and we just want those things to matter to people. Mm. But, you know, we don't have Abraham Erskine to fucking, you know, (laughs) hit us with some Vita rays and all that stuff like that. Okay, we're almost about to get out of here. Do me a favor. It's time for a running thing that we're going to do, which we can't do it too many more times. We only got two more episodes. Power broker power rankings. Give me your top five people that you feel like the top power broker five. could be. I only Don't have to be I, five. Let's, let's do top three people that you feel like power, uh, power broker could Number be. Number one on the list, Sharon Carter. Okay. Number two on the list, Baron Zemo. Uh-huh. Number three on the list, ooh, ooh, what am I going to go with? What am I going to go with for number three? 
you know what? I'm gonna go with a uh, with a with an old school villain. Um, I think his name is Jekyll from the Marvel Universe. What the fuck Marvel? are you talking about? Yeah, you don't know well, what I'm talking. Henry I Jekyll, do know, but wh- Mr. But Hyde, why? Mr. Hyde, Henry Jekyll, Spider-Man villain. I'm gonna go with him. Number three. Stop! 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 Bro, stop listening to this. Stop going down these YouTube rabbit holes. It's like we got 77 Easter eggs in one minute for the like. You know, like we asking you. I didn't ask you to put on your brainiac brain and go tell me. Well, tell make the case that it's Jekyll. Make the case that it's Jekyll. All right, because he is a part of the Young Avengers storyline, where Eli, we realize, is pumping himself full of MGMH, mutant growth hormone. I'm pulling that out because we saw Eli. I'm just like, who? It might be him. Might be him. He's my, okay. But he's my third. I think it's Sharon. Yeah. You know who I think it is? I good, Cool. I think, it is, I think it's the living tribunal then. I think since we're going, it's obscure. I think it's all fucking right, the, the one above all. Did you wake I, up I, on I, the I, wrong I, side of the bed uh, today? Uh, no, crabby. I think it's the molecule man, Owen Reese. I think, what I think, is wrong I, with you? Give me your top three, man. Give me your top three. So, right. Okay, this is my top three. My top. My, it's Rorschach. <laughs> I think it's Rorschach. Right. Uh, I, no, my number one is actually Thunderbolt Ross. I think I think my number what? one is Thunderbolt. My number one is Thunderbolt Ross. Oh, you're getting on me for Mr. Hyde, and you just said Thunderbolt Ross. At a least Hulk Thunderbolt. Villain. At least Hulk Thunderbolt villain. Ross has been in the MCU, and we see how this is leading toward the uh, the Thunderbolts, which you yourself has said that this is leading towards the Thunderbolts. So I don't know what's wrong with you. Thunderbolt right, so Ross, fine. Thunderbolt what's Ross, two and three. Uh, Thunderbolt it's Ross, ridiculous. Uh, number two <laughs> is Zemo. Okay, same number two. And then number three is Sharon Carter. Uh, I, I just think it would be too on the nose if it were Sharon Carter. Actually, I doubted Zemo. I, I doubted Zemo. I almost want to put, you know who my number two is? And I think this would be really crazy. I'm, Zemo's not my number two. Isaiah Bradley's my number two. Let's wrap this show up. Let's wrap it. The Midnight Boys have broken up, y'all. I'm sorry. We love you. For- it would be so crazy no, if it was what? Isaiah Bradley. If it was Isaiah Bradley, it would be so crazy. I'm telling you. Oh, guys, guys, Van has a little bit of white stuff below his mustache today. He's Do on I? one. Oh, oh I, I, thought, I thought maybe I did. I was just looked at the camera. I just looked at the camera. I was like, what? You know, it's in the morning. So it could be a fucking thing. That is it for us, shall I say. We are done. Tuesday, check in with Mallory, man. Mm-hmm. Check in with, with Mallory on Tuesday. She's going to do a deeper dive into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode four. And she'll also be answering your mailbag questions. Mailbag questions that you can submit to her via all of the Ringerverse socials, at Ringerverse, all over the place. Pepper Mallory with questions. Give her some work to do. All right, we will see you guys again next week. Woo-hoo! The Midnight, Midnight Boys, Boys will out. ride again. We will ride again. We will see you, see you guys then. Keep watching. Dora against against uh, Mortal Kombat coming out. Who who wins? Who interested? The Dora Milaje against which Mortal Kombat character? No, like you you take like twelve of them against the okay. the most popular characters like Sub Zero, Scorpion, all of them. Well, they have special powers. 
Are everybody in everybody in the room had special powers. They're fine. But the Dora, but the, the Dora Milaje doesn't have special powers. They I don't mean, need them. Accordingly, they they beat they be Bucky and they didn't need oh, it. So look, how how much time do the Dora have to prepare for this? I will say this: they're always prepared, like Batman. So they they know everybody's powers. They know how well, to. Well, Sub Zero is gonna shoot ice beams at them. It's like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, they're prepared, though. They're prepared. Well, well, if you're telling me that there's some kind of Wakandan technology that can prepare them for That's their superpowers. They get they have Shuri in their corner. I, I still probably going to take the Mortal Kombat people. I'm I, me lie. too. Me too. Because the Mortal Kombat people are like <laughs> fighters of legend and stuff like that. You know what I mean? But like yeah, Sub-Zero is going to They don't have shoot. a fatality. Like the door, the door don't have a fatality. So Yeah, they fight Raiden. <laughs> like that's gonna be tough. This is gonna be tough for them if they're fighting Raiden. 